I see sometimes really projects stopping or starting to lose momentum as soon as they come across this issue. Often, if you look at it and try to think a bit holistically around the problem and issue, that there is something that you can always resolve. The question is, do you want to resolve it? Hello everyone, you're listening to Cookies and Code, Season 2, Episode 2, and this is your host, Stefanos Korakas. In today's episode, we're going to talk about companies that buy all the tech that they need and still fall into some very common implementation traps that lead them to fail. Now, before we get into that, if this is the first time that you're landing on Cookies and Code, Cookies and Code is a podcast that is equal parts tech and the amazing community that is part of tech. So what I try to do is for every episode, ask an expert to join me, and then we pick a topic, talk a little bit about their background and their story, but also about the topic at hand. So hopefully teaching you something along the way while having some fun. So for today's episode, I have asked Thomas Huersma to join me. Thomas is a solution engineer, and he has previously worked in consulting for several years. So he has a lot of wisdom to unpack for us. So Thomas, welcome, and why don't you start with a short intro? Thank you, uh, Stefanos. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure uh, to be here. Yeah, so uh, hi, everyone. My name is uh, Thomas. Um, I'm, I'm indeed working with Salesforce, but also I'm, I'm very passionate about uh, marketing, data, and a- anything that has to do about new technologies. And yeah, I'm very excited to have a chat with you about, uh, about my experiences that I had in the past year. Awesome. So, Thomas, um, I have a lot of questions to ask you, but before we get into that, just a reminder for anyone who may be listening, even both Thomas and I work for Salesforce. This is not a Salesforce podcast. This is an independent podcast. Um, So keep that in mind as we progress through the episode, even if we make some references that just force of habit. So Thomas, back to you. And um, one thing I would like to uh, hear a bit more about, and I'd like to do that with every guest that comes of the episode, um, is a little bit about your background and your story. And how did you end up working in tech? So yeah, I actually I, I I started getting fascinated about computers in the beginning, right? Like like everyone does uh, by uh, having a, an older brother that had a lot of machines at home and uh, liked the idea of playing a game and uh, maybe uh, building something and yeah, getting uh, used to using computer. But that of course is just like the beginning. It's 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 where I got inspired. Okay, maybe something is interested in working in tech. Uh, but of course, you can do also other things uh, as well. But at some point, actually, I was um, I was actually faced quite early in my uh, education to to make a decision around this. Um, actually, something that I was I was struggling with was was um, yeah being able to to perform well in in, in German or in, in French. So the languages was a kind of a thing that that gave me a lot of challenges. So that forced me to move to technical school actually early in my originally to to really start working in IT and going into that direction. Okay, I see. I I, I hear this a lot, like a lot of people, uh, their passion about tech started uh, through the technology they interacted with in childhood, like whether it was consoles or and video games or uh, computers and, you know, playing with the hardware and trying to fix something or set something up or, you know, make something work. I think it's a common story, I would have to say. In my case, it's similar. Uh, I'm also a kid of the generation that uh, grew up idolizing Apple and Steve Jobs. So that's an interesting one. Now, my next question is, what brought you specifically in in the ad tech and martech space? Um, because I know you, you have quite extensive experience there. So how did you end up 
here by accident or was it a conscious choice? I, I think it comes a bit from my, my personal values. It's, it's something I always want to do, work with, with new things. I want to look at innovation. And at the same time, I always try to do two things better. Um, so that was also the reason why I moved from, from the technical school. I went to uh, uh, high school and after that I went to the university because every time, every time I was coming across the path and I said, okay, I think I can do better and I can move on. And I think that's where also at some point I felt, okay, well, knowing technology is nice. It's, it, it's good to be in technology, but actually being able to use it as value within the business, that was what really started to inspire me because I saw a lot of people working in technology and, and they were not able to make that step towards translating it to business value or, or in that way. Actually, I, I really started focusing more on uh, the business side of technology mm-hmm. and also on, 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 on working with, uh, yeah, with marketing and, and data in specific, uh, because that was one of the, the, yeah, the big things then at that time that marketing really started to use data more in their part of the communication with the customer. Yeah, that's a very interesting one. And uh, for those of you who may have not listened through season one, there is an episode in season one uh, with uh, one of my colleagues, Pilar Acosta, um, where we spoke about data-driven advertising. So anyone who'd like to hear more about how that works, what that is, how we got there, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. It's called really data-driven advertising. Um, so it's very easy to find. Great. Now, before we jump into the topic, uh, one last question. Now you've been doing that obviously for some time. What is it that you like, uh, about being in that sector? Um, what motivates you to stay here and, and do you foresee your career growing in that sector further? Yeah, well, I think from, from, uh, marketing and, and, and ad tech and advertising, everything around that, it's also at the same time about you as a person, right? So also you're buying your own phone or you're doing your groceries. Every time when you, you're going somewhere, you're being uh, touched by advertising or marketing in some way, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's it's, it's close to you. And at the same time, there's a, so much innovation going on in this sector and that really fascinates me. So every year there is something new and then I really try to think like, is this just a fad? Is it like a gimmick or is this really gonna be something new? Oh yeah, that's such a marketer's life. Awesome. So uh, let's jump into the topic of today because I think we have a lot to talk about and I want to make sure that we give it time and we also have some time to um, bounce off each other some thoughts because I think some of these may may be controversial. I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious to see what you have in store, Thomas. So just to remind everybody, what we're talking about today is what happens um, with companies that regardless of having bought all the technology that they need in order to succeed, in order to transform. And that's something that we see a lot because uh, our company works with really large enterprise level organizations that aspire to transform. So they come with a big vision or we help them shape that big vision. Um, And then they buy a lot of stuff. And and one year later, two years later, you see that they've leveraged only five, 10% maybe of the capability of what they could have done with it. which for a lot of them, uh, often they look at it as we have failed to to execute on that vision. So what happens there and what are some of the reasons? And I know, Thomas, you have a lot of experience uh, with several projects. You have seen a lot of examples through your career. Uh, you have shared with me before that you have some advice that you commonly share with the clients that you work with. So I thought 
you could share that wisdom with with me and with the audience today. Um, and I would turn that over to you and ask, okay, if you have maybe the top, I don't know, five, six tips that you could give to companies and uh, things that they should pay attention to in order not to fail in execution, what would those be? So over to you again, let's start from the top. Yeah, thanks, uh, Stefanos. Yeah, so actually, I think that's always, I think, one of the things, right? You, you learn the best from making mistakes. And and I, I've seen, indeed, a lot of projects um, during my time at Salesforce, but also in my time well before that when I was a consultant. So I've seen a lot of different companies um, in, in retail, in, in, in finance or manufacturing or insurance. And, and, and actually, m- many of these mistakes that I, I found and, and came across were, were kind of general. It, it, it can be applied to any industry or any kind of project that's working on, on tech. So that's where, that's where I come from. And indeed, it's easier to point out what's wrong than saying what to improve, right? So uh, yeah, let's get into it. I think the first one I, I, I want to bring up, and that's, I think, uh, a typical thing um, with a tech project is, 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 is to expect that it's, it's done after six months. Um, this, this is a quite high expectation, right? Um, you come in with a new idea, a new concept, and, you, and always the question is, how quick can you do it? How fast can you go? And then you have some ideas to bring it really quickly and really fast. And then after six months, it's like, okay, the project is done. Let's move to the next. But typically, this is just where it gets started. Right. Yeah. And and I think that goes back to the beginning. Maybe some of those companies are also um, have quite unrealistic expectations of, of what can be delivered with that. I'm, I have to say that I see quite commonly the expectation that there will be a proof of concept or an MVP done within six months or less. Sometimes I even hear three months, depending on the scope of the project, uh, what is realistic. Um, and I hear companies um, uh, that th- they would actually meet that goal within that time frame of the first POC um, and celebrate that, but then get lost after uh, that first POC were basically, uh, the, and, and that's simply a product of, uh, they haven't really thought about it beyond that POC. That was what the pressure, um, th- th- that's the, the pressure they were facing from their management, or I'm not sure from who, to deliver something. They delivered that something, great celebration, and then kind of dies out. And then, as you said, they're looking for the next exciting thing as opposed to looking at, okay, how can I now continue building on use cases that would help me get to the vision that I was sold to or that I had in mind when I bought the product. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So I, I think actually it is more than that. It's, 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 it's indeed how, how you summarize it, but also it's, it, it can be just because it was in the planning to be six months and then the team actually after six months is supposed to do a new project. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also what I see often. Okay. But indeed, I think also leaving that, losing that momentum after the six months because you had something great to celebrate, you had the first launch, and then now actually a lot of more work comes your way, and that's where you might get lost in the weeds. Yeah, I I agree, and I think the question is now if we were to flip it around and say, okay, what's the right behavior, right? Uh, what what would your advice be here? Yeah, well, it's 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 it's. I think it it starts with the the really uh, simple one. It it it's 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 the think big but start small. So that's 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 where you start, right? That's why we we always start with the POC. It's I think that's a general trend that we see in a lot of projects, and I think that's the right way to go. But at the same time, you need do need to prepare to think about a two year plan and a three year plan on where you're going. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that 
two or three year plan that set a stone. Definitely not. You need to reevaluate that every every six months or every year to see is this still the right plan where we want to go. Um, but you still need to have that long term version on this. Uh, and if if you take an example, like if it's about uh, starting with your your new data project or your new personalization project. Try to set some more milestones than just the first six months, but try to really think of, okay, what do we want to achieve in one year, where we want to stand then, and mm-hmm. what, where do we want to stand after two years. Okay. And also making the people available. That's the other part. Right, exactly. I was going to talk about that, actually. I'm glad you brought that up, because I was going to say that that's another example I've seen uh, in, um, not, not always, but in some cases, there are special teams that are formed by the customer in order to deliver on that project. So you get resource assigned to delivering this POC that normally has another day job. And then after the POC, that the team is kind of dispersed back into their regular business. Uh, and, and whoever is left with a newfound responsibility to continue building on that finds themselves loan resources. So I would add that to your list. But I think you said a lot of, shared a lot of good advice there. So you spoke about, yes, uh, start with a vision, think big, but start small. Uh, POC, as I mentioned, is a good place to start, but also make sure that your thinking is evolved beyond that. Having in place a two, three year plan, for instance, and some some milestones in between um, that can act as your goalposts really on how close are you getting to the vision um, in that time frame, and making sure that you back it up with the proper resource. So this would be, I guess, this is what I took away. Uh, would you say it's a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, but the, indeed, I think the the chance is that it's currently not sexy to talk about two years or three years ahead because no one wants to start especially a big project tech. anymore. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. A, <laughs> I I heard that sometimes. You know, especially when you think about tech companies, it's like if you present a project plan that goes beyond a, a year to eighteen months, then you know it's like. It's it's almost a dirty word. Yeah, I remember one time actually we lost a pitch on that because we we pitched them a two and three year plan. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there you go. Okay, uh, so that was number one, right? Uh, making sure that you're thinking right about the time frame and planning accordingly. Now, let's go to the second one, and this is something you and I briefly talked about before, and we said uh, we talked about the right resourcing and, and expertise and making sure that you bring in the right people. We also briefly spoke about it just now uh, when we said you need to make sure you back up the project with the resources. But I would love to elaborate uh, on this a bit more from your side. So tell us, what do you have in mind when you say that companies should should make sure that they bring in the right expertise? Yeah, and if you could share a couple of examples, perhaps where that didn't work. Yeah, well, well, I, th- I, think, I think it can save you a lot of headaches to begin with. Um, because I think indeed, often always with, with a tech project or something new that you're setting up, there is going to be some challenge or some issue that's going to hurt your timelines or it's going to make you uh, rethink the project as a whole. So that's very common in a project, right? I, I think you have seen it a lot as well yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, building on that. So I think if you have someone in the team that, that has run this kind of project before and knows what like the, what are the, the, the things that you where you can fail or things you need to think over before you start implementing all these kind of concepts that you might save you like six months of time during a project if you have someone like that in board that, that has done it before, that has the experience. And I'm then thinking both from the business perspective as well as from the, the tech perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And sometimes uh, I think it's not just about bringing in the right ex- external expertise. It's also making sure that as you bring in that that external expertise, it's it's also the, the you you match it up with the right stakeholders internally, so they can champion uh, this theme and remove roadblocks, right? And and that's a, a little bit of a pet people might have to admit is when sometimes we see customers that pay a lot for external resources and they understand the value of the skill set that we are able to provide to them or a, that a, a partner uh, can provide to them, but then they throw them in a chaos uh, and complexity and political uh, structures that, that really you're not, you know, empowered to navigate as an external. Um, and of course, they, they 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 do not succeed with that right? because they put somebody that's yeah. effectively a stranger to to try to resolve political yeah. tensions in the company. So it, it's I I have seen it time and time again. It works so much better when you have somebody that can take accountability and ownership of this on the customer side and make sure that they resolve these tensions and create space for the team that has come in to provide really a strategy or technical expertise to execute. Yeah, definitely. That's what. That's always. I think the the thing with most of the mistakes I, I found it's 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 a balancing act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely that that having someone internally that is able to to uh, lead or sponsor the project and being able to bring in all the stakeholders and helps with the adoption of a project, right? So mm-hmm. not about just implementing, but helping adopting in the organization. That needs to be someone with that expertise within the organization that can do that. So definitely, that's also a, a really crucial angle. Yeah. Yeah. So just to summarize uh, point number two, make sure that you back up your project with the right expertise, bring the right people externally. If you don't have the expertise internally, it may sometimes be uh, looked at as an, in, you know, an extra cost, but it should really be looked at as an investment because that can help you speed up and succeed faster and make sure that you also have the right champion internally to help every external resource that you bring in to deliver on what they need to deliver and not get caught up um, in internal complexity. So that would be point number two. Um, summary, anything to add before we, we move on to point number three? No, that's a perfect summary, uh, Tevanos. Great. Okay. So let's move on to the next one then. Yeah, well, it, 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 it kind of built on, on that championing. Uh, but the next one is really about uh, when you run a new project is that, that sometimes you see that, that, that it's either the business or the IT is, is really leading and are really driving the project. And sometimes they even do not listen to IT or to the business um, in bringing that forward. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's two-sided and I've seen many mistakes. I, I could take an example if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's always uh, good to talk from my own experience because it's easier to see mistakes from others. But in, in my, I, I used to work as well in, in a department that was really responsible for, for managing the data for the marketing team. Mm-hmm. And we had really strict procedures. We had really ways, okay, this is how we're going to run it. This is how we do it. And this is a process. So if you want to bring in new data, it's going to take you a few months, but then you will have it. It's stable. It's well tested and it works. Well, at some point, the business wasn't happy anymore and they didn't take that uh, because they felt that IT was not listening to them. So I was part of the mistake myself, I guess. <laughs> I, I have too much on that one. I see I have been part of the mistake myself too. On the other side, because in my, my um, pre um consulting life I was uh, when I was doing this um, as a customer uh, that I mentioned before sometimes 
uh, we would get so excited about a project, about a capability, about a technology we wanted to acquire and start running with, that we would completely disregard IT processes that are there for a reason, right? So like processes like uh, security um, assessments um, or simply proper vendor selection, right? Things like that, that that were driven by the IT department or proper evaluation and feature comparisons and all of that. Um, architecture reviews, alignment with the rest of our tech stack. It was, we would just jump on it, sign a contract and then get running with it. And, and as soon as uh, we would, our colleagues from the IT department would figure out that we're doing that, it would lead to all sorts of, again, um, issues and new tensions and uh, really not a good partnership going forward, right? Because also on either side of this equation, if you're not taken into consideration, if you're not asked to participate and really do your job in the process, you, you can feel a little betrayed, I would say, uh, even at the personal level. So, uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I would say it's a good practice to make sure that uh, whenever there's a project like that, there is good alignment and good teaming between the uh, IT and business teams that are trying to deliver. Um, and although it may seem sometimes that on one side may feel that the other one is, uh, you know, increasing the complexity of the process. It's just it's just uh, good conduct for a more sustainable relationship um, going forward, and and also more sustainable approach on how you grow your tech stack in your business. Yeah, definitely. Because if 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 indeed the marketing department will decide over every technology chosen, it might not end up in being mm-hmm. working well together, right? So having that expertise again in on that side and knowing okay how could all the different things that we are buying or bringing together, how could it work well together? I think that's one of the big things. You need to consider as well. Of course, yes, yeah, exactly. Hello there. I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Cookies and Code. If you have benefited in any way from the knowledge of the guest on this podcast, I'd like you to ask for one small favor that would only require a couple of minutes of your time. This podcast is a project born out of passion to share the knowledge and the stories hidden within our community. By leaving a review on the platform that you're listening to, you will greatly increase the chances of it being found by others like you. This is one small action that will allow me to continue to grow and improve this podcast more than you realize. So thank you for being a listener first and foremost, but also for helping me increase our impact. Now, let's get back to the chat. Okay, so what was point number three? Uh, And I think here, since we're midway, I'm going to just do a quick summary of what we discussed so far. Right. So the first one was really about... Uh, thinking about the timeline of the project realistically and also structuring it, um, thinking big, but starting uh, small with the POC while having in mind a proper timeline and proper milestones in place. Um, Then uh, point number two was about having the right people, the right resources and the right expertise, uh, even if you have to outsource that expertise right, uh, with a partner, a consultancy that you're working with. Um, and also matching them up internally with the right champions so they can uh, deliver on what they need to deliver. Um, and the, the third point so far was around really on internally speaking, uh, collaboration between business and IT functions, um, alignment and teaming to make sure that they're involved through the whole process when it comes to implementing a new technology uh, or delivering on a new project. So. I think that's already a lot of good advice, by the way, I have to say that. And a lot of good reasons why, especially if I think about the last one we talked about in an enterprise environment, 
the bigger the company is, the more complex this becomes. Now we spoke about business and IT, but typically you may have other departments that are involved in the process as well. You may have procurement, you may have legal, you know, you may have business with a lot of different branches under business and what that means. One part of the business, if we think about MarTech, may own the website, another one may own paid media, another one may own, you know, like uh, mail and journeys and all of that, and customer experiences, another one may own the application. So it's it, it can be huge, huge, huge complexity. Um, so I'm, sometimes it also may require uh, to balance out the number of people you need to involve. Maybe a question that uh, just pops to mind right now, right? And I'm wondering if you have some good advice on that. How, how, what would you advise companies of that scale and complexity to do? Uh, where would you see that balance between making sure that everybody is informed and aligned and involved in the process, but also forming a team that can actually move fast and deliver, uh, especially considering the first point uh, that, that we talked about, the new expectations on timelines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could take an example of that indeed for uh, which I did for for uh, a larger enterprise. Um, so it was a project that was, I think, really, really successful for the six months after that. It kind of died down, but uh, that that's that's the first mistake, right? <laughs> yeah. But but I think I think one thing that was really nailed down there was uh, bringing it together uh, from the different departments. And I think what you see, especially in 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 these larger projects within an enterprise, if Indeed, if people do not feel committed to a project and are involved late, like you forget to involve the legal team or if you get the risk team or the security team and you're just asking them last minute on, okay, how are we going to solve this? Then they won't be happy probably, right? So mm-hmm. I think indeed in making sure that everyone feels part of being a team to make this project successful, and that includes IT, business, legal, security, you name it, if everyone feels being part of the success and as well helping to try to achieve it, then you have a completely different conversation, right, with legal. Then the conversation is, okay, how can we make it work in, in, in what we want to do instead of, okay, this is what you cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, also kind of leading actually to the next one I wanted to focus on. <laughs> okay, all right. Good. Then, then uh, yeah, I mean, since you already kind of made the segue to the next one, let's move on to, to that one. Um, and, you know, we, we can always flex back and forth. If something comes up, comes up that brings us back to one of the earlier points, we can revisit. So what's the next one that you had in mind? Yeah, well, I think I think that's uh, that's that's related to that. There is always something up that comes up during the project that, that might cause an issue. Right. And sometimes there can be small issues, but sometimes they can be kind of blocking. And then you think like, okay, well, <laughs> how are we going to resolve that? And that can be anything, right? It can be about the technology, it can be about the security or legal or not having the right budget or, or things like that. So I think that's that that's something that, that comes up often. And I think I see sometimes really projects stopping or starting to lose momentum as soon as they come across this issue because they're starting to doubt everything around the project and it might actually slow down the whole process. So I think I, I see that often. And actually often if you if you look at it and, and try to think a bit holistically around the problem and issue, there's typically always a way around it. And someone has to sacrifice here. It might be in IT, it might be in tech, it might be in in in, in the side of how we communicate it to the customer. So, so there is something that you can always resolve the question is do you want to resolve it mm-hmm. there's always a curveball 
There's always a curveball, <laughs> multiple ones. <usually>. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, 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 and if you approach it as a team, it's much easier than to get over that. And sometimes it does mean you, you do need to kill a project and you need to realize that as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess dep- because you talk about a small issue, so maybe um, c- could you share also an example uh, where, where uh, you would say in uh, what would classify as a small issue uh, based on your experience that would be small on the one uh, side, but on the other side, big enough to create some turmoil? Yeah, well, I, th- I think often indeed when you, you, you set up a project and you, you start to realize actually later on when you start implementing it, there is one small piece in the technology that you've forgotten about and something that the tech department doesn't have a solution for yet and would take six months longer before it will go live. I think that's, that's a typical challenge I, I come across. Okay. I can think about a couple of examples on my side. Uh, yeah, uh, when there's a variety of those, but I think I know what you have in mind. Um, I'm just thinking for the audience to to help visualize that it could be sometimes, for example, that uh, when we are implementing, uh, I'm thinking now a little bit about the experience we have within our company. That sometimes you implement on a project, and then we need to. Um, uh, deploy a piece of tech that uh, has a third-party dependency, right? I'm thinking now a common example. It's a very technical example, but is um, when it comes to uh, activating the possibility for customers to send SMS to our platforms and different international numbers and so on. This is something that we work with third-party aggregators for uh, to open up that channel for us, and uh, and it's it's it usually is a process that requires a lot of parties. Uh, and it is also something that in as part of the sales experience, uh, oftentimes it can be overlooked because it's such a small thing. But this is the kind of small thing that when the customer hears, oh, this can take up to eight weeks, for example, you're like, what? Nobody told me that this would take eight weeks. I thought we could be up and running in three weeks. You know, like this, I've, I've heard similar phrases oftentimes. And, and if you think about in the big picture, um, maybe there are uh you know, concessions you can make or you can reprioritize certain use cases and so on because typically that's not the only reason why you buy the technology for. But it can create friction. Uh, so this would that qualify uh, in your book as kind of example? Yeah, no, definitely. You, you hope, of course, that the experts that you get on the project would foresee this, but there is always a risk that you don't. And then I think indeed is I, I think there are two questions: is indeed can we can we can we reprioritize or take up a other use case, mm-hmm. or is this sort of is there a workaround where where we can find a, a direction that everyone can live with? And that's a workaround; it's temporary, uh, so you do need to make sure you 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 fix it afterwards. Uh, but that's also an approach you can take. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean. I would go back to the previous point around the team uh, and around the commitment because you 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 mentioned that and you said that what's important is the commitment of everybody participating to succeed. And I would say this, in my experience, makes a huge difference on how these these situations are approached uh, because if everybody has a commitment and wants to make the product project uh, successful, um, th- th- there will always be a way, right? Uh, because going back to the big picture, the, the small issue is never going to be something that would prevent you getting to your vision eventually, right? It's really just about maybe going a slightly different way uh, than you initially had in mind. 
uh, or not even that it could be that you're you know you may have a delay on your poc by a month or so right so or, or even more but at the end of the day you will get what you wanted and uh, just on a different timeline so whenever there is a will and commitment from the entire team across departments to make that work there is always a way and i had a couple of um customers that even though they were fairly large customers and i remember having projects where we had 15 people in the room uh it, it was it was really pleasant because the energy in the room was the energy of we are building something we're doing something we are changing the experience of how we get to our customers and our consumers and it was really really positive like it was not the kind of environment that you would be afraid to talk about a, a curveball like this it would be the environment that even when you had it you would go in and say guys we got to get to work we had to figure this out and it would work and it worked and it was an extremely successful project precisely because of this reason right yeah yeah no i i i i've seen great examples and without calling the names that even indeed in the financial service in banking sometimes the project can run faster than a small company or a medium-sized company because they have that commitment so yeah mm -hmm. I, i definitely seen that in practice yeah and there's a lot to to go into that because it's not i mean you know for anyone listening that may say we we are simplifying this obviously it's not just the commitment right there goes there's a lot that goes into this this project structure especially in large companies you have sponsors and you have steering committees and you have pro core project teams and extending extended project teams and various work streams and partners and all of that uh, we are aware of that um but i think in the context of what we're discussing today i think commitment is a key component to to consider um and uh, yeah when it comes to teaming and resources and so on i would go back to what i mentioned earlier go back and listen to the very first episode of cookies and coding and we talk about that with nathan as well so we've talked about four things so far is there something else you had in mind yeah well it it, it was on my mind on the last mistake but uh i'm not sure if it makes that much sense now because actually i would normally say try to also physically sit together and, and, and work on it instead of just uh, doing it remote. Um, it <laughs> might be valuable, again, advice after this crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, but that also creates that commitment and, and that collaboration. So I think, I think that's something we might be missing now sometimes in our projects. Yeah, it definitely helps create this celebratory environment I was talking about. Uh, I don't know if you remember what I, I mentioned before. I said you're getting in the room and you're feeling that energy. Um, I think over the last year and a half, we have proven that, you know, a lot of amazing things can happen with everybody being at home, but I'm with you on, on the fact that I think it's different when, especially in situations like this, when you're in crisis mode, it's so much different to be in a, in, in a room with everyone. Definitely. Yeah. On almost every aspect on positivity, energy, environment, uh, time to resolution, all of these things uh, become a little easier, but it's not impossible. We've proven that now. True. True. Cool. Okay. So then we, we can start wrapping it up. Or should we do, do one, one last one? Yeah, sure. Okay. Let's go for it. If you have something else. Yes. So, so I think, I think this one is actually, yeah, maybe I saved the best for last. You, you told me to put the most important one on top, but I think this is also very important. <laughs> yes, I am a fan of both approaches, so so go go for the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think it's around the business case. I think that business case it's 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 often super underestimated, uh, and it's often taken off as like a kind of mandatory hurdle. Uh, like okay, I need to do it. It's like a checkbox. I need to have the ROI there, and I'll just put some good figures, and it will work. But no, I, I think a business case is definitely underestimated. 
Okay. Uh, so you mean you're talking about a business case as part of the buying process, like before you even get to the point that you buy the technology or what exactly would you have in mind in this case? Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's much more than than buying the the technology, right? It's uh, it's indeed something you should do upfront, but also you should keep evaluating it. Uh, often it ends up in a drawer after you have actually designed it. So <laughs> that's where I see most uh, business cases. Okay. But but starting with that, I think I think the 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 important part is to try to consider really as much as possible what's feasible within a business case. So think about what, what like like the, when you design the business case, think about of course the technology costs, think about the implementation costs, think of about the total people that you need to work with on a project. So that's not just external people or internal people; it's every everything that you need to involve, right? Um, because some projects might involve a big involvement, require a big involvement from legal, which is, of course, also a part of the organization that you need to fund. Um, so that's one part of the business case. Um, and also about uh, reevaluating, right? So um, often when we start with a project, we, we, we come up with, okay, we're going to improve our net promoter score by 10%, or we're going to increase our revenue by 10%, or things like that. And that sounds like a really good way to close your business case, right? But Typically, that's not the results that you get after the, the first three, four months. It's something you need to grow over again over the time longer than six months. Um, so I think also having that stepping stone in, in your business case and adopting and readjusting that as well as you go, I think that's also very crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I get it. I think it's also something we talk about a lot when we think about customer success and the work we do with our customers post-purchase, right? Because that's, that's really... Uh, where would we come in for the most part? Um, and it's really about keeping the business value in mind. So first of all, what you are saying is we need to make sure that you have built your case and you have this strong tie between the investment you're making in every aspect when it comes to the tech uh, and the operating costs and so on. And how does that relate back to the business value you're looking to get out of that investment? Um, having this this thread uh, clear in your head as a product owner or as a leader on the topic and also making sure people in your business have that understanding uh, and they have that buy-in and then measuring against that uh, as you go and adjusting as you need. Uh, so I think this is really, really good advice and it's something that it's for, for the customers who, who are in the, who work with um, SaaS companies or any type of uh, cloud as a service company, subscription service and so on, where you typically encounter a function like customer success, uh, you you can get a lot of good advice of how you can actually create this business value uh, mapping uh, between your business goals and that investment and to track progress uh, through, through, through your process of deploying the project, but also after you're on a run mode. Um, so would would you say that uh, um, that I summarize this uh, well, Thomas, or is there something that you would like to add to that? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, if you if you don't uh, measure on your business case when you're running the project and try to map it back to the business value, you will never know if your project was successful, right? So exactly. <laughs> but indeed, what what you often see is that 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 you build a business case and it might have not gotten all components. Of course, that can happen at the beginning of a project. But after that, it ends up in a drawer, 
And then afterwards, maybe we're going to rethink, like after six months in the project, okay, how are we going to measure our success? And then there's a lot of time lost there because you probably need to think ahead of how am I going to measure it? How do I trigger the success? And, 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 and how do I keep track of it? And also steer in the direction that brings business value and success during the project. So if there are things that you're doing in the project that maybe don't bring business value, that you say, okay, does this mean we need to rethink a business case? Or does it mean we need to focus on other parts? Yeah. Since we talked about so much, I, I feel like it's a good idea to, to do a very short summary. So Thomas, if you were to summarize the key takeaways uh, from all of the good advice that uh, you shared with our audience today, what would those be? All right. Yeah, let me try to make sure I get it right. So I think um, it starts with that that vision, right, as a project, that long-term vision, and then you want to scale it down back to a POC, like a proof of concept that you want to start with, but still think about that bigger picture. Keep that in mind and making sure that everyone is aware of that vision. And then additionally, when you, you set up that project, bringing in the right people. So if you think talk about right people, it, it can be indeed the right expertise in technology side, about business side, people that have run this kind of project before, but also about the champion, the, the champion that's going to uh, bring this into the business, in the organization, is going to help take out roadblocks, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as well, having that balance in, 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 in working with IT and business in that. So, so having that right balance in the team, making them work together and not like side by side. And then as well, when you face an issue or challenge, face it as a team, right? And, yeah. and take and think about it holistically. So do I need to fix this issue? Do I need to reprioritize or how are we going to solve this? And don't solve it from a one point perspective, bring everyone into that story. All right. And then to close it out, uh, yeah, have a business case that lasts beyond the first three months <laughs> and keep, keep re-evaluating and measuring on your success of the project. All right. So, Thomas, it's been almost an hour uh, that we've been together. Uh, so I've really enjoyed uh, our conversation and what we've exchanged. So on, on, on today's discussion of how not to fail in execution, before we close this off, uh, just going to take it back a little bit to the personal level and ask you this. And it's a question I ask every guest that comes on. So is there any piece of advice that you received at some point in your career and you have kept with you throughout, right? And uh, if so, what what is that and why is it important to you? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the one thing that, that really sticks to me and, and I, I take up in, in, in the most things that I do is, is really, uh, yeah, doing what you enjoy and, and, and prioritizing that. Uh, and of course, there are always things that you will not enjoy in the job or in your role or in the project that you're running. But try to find those kind of things that bring you energy and, and keep focusing on that because I think that's the way how you learn the quickest and that's also the way how you can grow as a person. So that's what I always do when I uh, try to pick up new topics. That's that's where I look at. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Thomas. That's really good advice. And it's also important to remember that, you know, career is where you spend a huge part of your life. Uh, it's um, it, it's important to, to, to try to get to do something that you really enjoy doing, as you said, and to remember that. And that's another thing that I would I would add on top of what you shared is 
try to step back from time to time and look at this as something that you should enjoy. And I think it's easy sometimes, uh, especially in tech, it's a very fast growing sector and you see a lot of movement and a lot of development, a lot of people who, you know, move constantly and grow really fast and so on um, to get yourself in that rat race and forget that this is about having some fun as well. So I would totally second Thomas's uh, advice and hope uh, and hope everyone embraces it and can do that from now on. Um, and if you manage to do so, it's a blessing, really. Yeah, then you forget the time about the time, like in this podcast, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thanks. That's a great example, Thomas. Thank you so much for for bring for pointing that out. Um, so now my very last question, uh, and I promise this is really the very last one. Uh, is there any any resource that you would like to recommend to the audience? Anybody that um, is looking to develop their skills or build their career? Um, and it can be anything. Really. It can be a book, it can be a podcast, it can be a TV series, uh, anything really. So do you have something in mind? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's one thing that really uh, stick to me the last year, and that's one of my um, ex-colleagues, uh, Gilbert. So he has been actually working on, on one of the challenges I mentioned as well, and that's really about that gap and bridging that gap between a data analytics project from the tech side towards the business, right? So how do you have that conversation with the business and how do you make it work, right? And that's typically different, right? Business people typically think quite different than if you look at someone that's working in data analytics. Uh, they have a different kind of point of view. And uh, Gilbert, uh, with, his, uh, with his brand mind speaking, has been trying to help people in data analytics really better understand, okay, how do I talk with the business? How, how do people work? And how do I try to convince them of my ideas and my thoughts? And I think he did it in a really logical way. As many people that work in data lakes think quite logically. So mm -hmm. he tried to visualize, okay, how can you think logically about building that relationship with the business and making sure that the project that I'm doing is driving value. So uh, that's actually, yeah, my recommendation. Go to mindspeaking.com and, and have a look at it. I'm very inspired about the work he's doing. Okay, that's super cool. And it, and it's a, is it a colleague of, uh, of ours? Is that correct? No, 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 no. It's it, it, it's from from a time back. I, I used to work with him at uh, at Capgemini. So uh, ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, I misunderstood that. Okay, well, that's great. I mean, uh, regardless, I think this is a really, really cool project. So I'm glad that uh, we're sharing this here. Uh, and you said it's mindspeaking.com. It's one word, mindspeaking. Yeah, yeah. And he's written a book. It's called uh, People Skills for Analytical Thinkers. So that's the that's the book I would refer to. Okay, so it's. The website and the book for for everyone to check out and that's thomas's recommendation and that's also where we wrap it up for today uh, so we talked about a lot uh, we could always always talk about more when it comes to this topic how to make sure that companies who dive into a technology project and they have all the tech that they need in, at their disposal they do not fail in execution uh, it's such a broad topic with so many um, paths that we can get into and talk about. And I think the ones that we talked about today are very, very important to keep in mind. So thanks so much, uh, Thomas, for uh, sharing your experiences with us uh, and with the audience and for anybody that may be listening. Um, as always, I put a link at the episode description when this is published where you can go in and leave a voice message and you can leave a comment or your feedback. 
uh, about the topic of today. If you have some advice that you think we should talk about, just go in and leave a voice message and I'll pick that up and I will play that back in one of the next episodes. So thanks so much, Thomas, once again. And to everyone else, hopefully seeing you in the next one. Yeah, thank you, uh, Stefanos. It was a pleasure.